0: It's really good to be with you this morning. You know, it's been my privilege to mentor John for the past several years. And it's been just a, a great friendship. It's been a delight for me. And part of what I do, is some of you know, that I consult all over the West for pastors and churches in transition. And uh, what I've really noticed over those years that I've been doing the consulting and coaching is that when churches are healthy and they go through a healthy transition... Um, It's really an exciting time. And and God can do some really neat things and bring a healthy under-shepherd to this church. When there's unhealthy transitions in an unhealthy church, it can be a real problem. But it's been really interesting to watch. So I see nothing but great things on the horizon for Cornerstone Church. I'm excited for for you. I'm excited to be a part of this church and uh, to be able to... Uh, be able to have the privilege of mentoring John over the past several years, it's just been a great thing to see how God's growing him. You know, I have a saying that um, I've used in my church over 24 years, and that's healthy things grow, growing things change, change requires risk, risk requires faith, and faith makes you healthy. And certainly we've watched John grow over the past several years, and he is uh, undergoing a change in his life that God has orchestrated with him and Mel and the kids. And, and But with that change also comes change with us, right? And it's an opportunity for us to be a resilient church and to really hang in there and watch God bless us with a new lead pastor that will take this church on to the next level for, for God to about it. I hope you are excited about it. I know there's kind of mixed emotions running around, but but God's got a plan. And uh, he's working his plan, and, and uh, you'll, you'll see how exciting it's going to be. You know, when, it, when it's an unhealthy transition, a lot of times these things take 18 months to even up to three years for finding another lead pastor. That's not going to be the case here. God's got somebody in mind, I know. I know the search committee has got a couple guys already in mind, so I, I'm excited. We'll, we'll see what happens. But um, pray with me. I know you're praying about it. I'm praying about it. And I know God's going to be faithful like he always is. Well, last uh, two weeks ago, I spoke to you about uh, what it means to live the resilient life, and we're using Joseph as our role model, and if you remember last week, the main thought was to be resilient is not to allow the past to, to dictate your future, and we talk, discovered what a dysfunctional family Joseph came out of. Uh, Jacob was a pretty passive father. You remember, he was very permissive, and he was very preferential in how he treated his sons. And consequently, the uh, other brothers, 10 of them, conspired to get rid of Joseph one day. When Joseph was sent out to the field to meet them, they thought this was our opportunity to to get rid of Joseph once and for all. And so they decided they would want to kill him. But I think it was Reuben that kind of talked him out of it and said, no, let's just sell him into slavery. And so they did. They sold him to a bunch of Ishmaelites. And Joseph came away as a slave, and the brothers went back and, of course, lied to their father that he was dead, which was obviously very painful for Jacob because Joseph was his very favorite. So we're going to pick up the story here with Joseph's first encounter, with a, a, a second encounter really, with, with a real frustrating situation. And this morning I want to talk to you about how uh, a resilient person is the one who's able to resist temptation. That's the main thought this morning. A resilient person is able to resist temptation. So we're going to look at this story here that could probably be well-read for reality TV, but I'm going to read the whole story to you, and I want you to follow with me. Just listen. If you have your Bibles, if you have a cell phone, or you know, you've, got, you've got an iPad with you, it's, it'd be good to follow along. And just listen to this incredible event that took place in Joseph's life found in Genesis chapter 39. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, probably one of the highest ranking officials in all of Egypt, by the way, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. Now the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household, of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. You talk about letting it all go, right? Right? how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day though, he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and he ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. And when he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. Well, she kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. And then she told him this story, That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Now well, this is a tragic story of a young man who resisted temptation. Amazing. Amazing story, and he paid a dear price for it. But I want to share with you today that if you're a resilient person, you too can resist temptation like Joseph. And there are some principles that I've gleaned out of this particular passage that I think will be helpful to you to really understand how you can resist the temptations that are on in your life. And so let's look at principle number one. You find it in verse 3. In verse 3 it says, When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, This young man was extremely successful, and I want to share with you this morning that success can be the most vulnerable place for temptation. You know, when we're we're failing, it's a lot more, it seems to be easier to kind of depend on God and to depend on others to encourage you in your life, but when you're riding the crest of success, you can be out there all alone, and when people are successful, it seems that other people stand by and look in awe and say, wow, they've really got it together, and unfortunately, what happens in that particular case, they kind of believe their own press and they, they feel so successful and they so, feel so good about themselves that consequently they become much more vulnerable to their pride factors. And so I don't know about you, but maybe you're coasting right now in your life and you just feel like everything is going really, really well. Well, I just want you to be encouraged that, you know, maybe that's a vulnerable time for you to take God for granted and to get sucked into some real temptation. Here's the second principle. We are most vulnerable to temptation when there is no accountability. Look at verses five and six with me again. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything he had. Everything that Joseph did, it just seemed like a turn to gold for Potiphar. And he put Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. See, there was no accountability for Joseph at this point. I mean, Potiphar so trusted him that he just let him take over his entire household. Now, this was probably one of the richest men in the Egyptian kingdom. And now Joseph was in control of all of his financial affairs, all of his personal affairs, maybe all of his agriculture, everything that he had to do personally for for Potiphar. Joseph was in charge. And and because of that, this guy was so comfortable with Joseph being in charge that he didn't even bother himself except for anything to eat. Joseph didn't have anybody in his life right then to hold him accountable. He had complete freedom to do anything he wanted. My question to you all this morning is this. What measures have you taken in your life to have accountability for the areas of vulnerability that are, in, that are going on in your life. Who's speaking into your life? Who's talking to you? Who's able to ask you the hard questions? You know, in AA or Weight Watchers or whatever it is, there's usually somebody who is sort of your counselor or your mentor that's calling you consistently or asking you, how are you doing, what's going on in your life? Have you created that kind of accountability around you for your areas of vulnerability and weakness? See, we need that in our lives. We need that horizontal accountability besides God's accountability in our life that people are speaking into our lives. And at this point, Joseph didn't have anybody in his life holding him accountable other than his his relationship to God. So we're most vulnerable to temptation when there's no accountability. Here's principle number three that I see in this passage. We are often attacked where we have the least resistance. If you look at this passage, you'll notice that in verses 6 and 7, it says, Now Joseph was a well-built and handsome young man. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. Joseph was probably at the very height of his virility. Joseph was a handsome young man. He probably could have had a lot of different women in his life. And so he was probably vulnerable in that area of his life probably feeling somewhat alone, being in in another culture, being in an Egyptian culture, finding success without any accountability. I mean, you talk about a weak area that could be exploited in his life. It would have to have been a sexual encounter like this. You know, Satan prowls around like a roaring lion, Scripture tells us. And we know how a lion hunts. A lion will lay down in the weeds and look like this... Quiet, gentle little putty cat, but he's consistently watching for the weakest link in a a particular herd, and he pounces on that weakest link. And it's so critically important for us to know what our weak links are in our lives, because that's probably where Satan is going to attack us and tempt us more than any any other place. I don't know what your weak links might be. Could it be food? Could it be your diet? Could it be your drivenness or your self-esteem? Speaking of diet, I I remember when I was a kid, I I had this incredible... Desire for my mom's coffee cake. She made the best homemade coffee cake. I, st- I thought about this this morning when I was in bed. I thought, you know, what was really tempting to me when I was a kid? And I thought, oh man, it was that coffee cake. She made the Streusel coffee cake that was just covered with, with all this sugar topping, you know, brown sugar. And then inside it, it had this vanilla pudding. I mean, it was so rich. And and every Sunday morning, she would bake this on Saturday. And Sunday morning, we'd have this fresh coffee cake. And I would indulge. And I would go to church every Sunday morning, sick to my stomach because it was so rich. I mean, it had probably at least a half a pound of butter for every coffee cake. I mean, can you you get any better than a half pound of butter and brown sugar? I mean, this was awesome. But I couldn't resist it. And to this day, my wife will only make it once a year because I just devour the entire coffee cake. It was, it was my weakness. Now, I got other weaknesses, but I won't confess them this morning. But what is your weakness? What is your weak link? What do you struggle with the most? Is it your mouth? Is it your finances? Is it your work, work ethic? Is, is, it your, is it gossip? What are your weaknesses? Only you and God know those weaknesses in your life. But chances are, that's where you're going to be most vulnerable. That's where God's going to try to get grip, or Satan's going to try to get a grip on your life. Here's the fourth principle. Do not allow your emotions to dictate your response to Satan's persuasiveness. Why do I say that? When you look at Joseph's response to Potiphar's wife, you see him saying here, he he has a tendency to not allow his emotions to get involved, but he looks at the big picture. He looks at all of the consequences. Looks at what he says in verse 8. Now Joseph was well-built, it says, but he refused with me, with me in, but he refused her, her offer, and he says, with me in charge, he told her, here's what he says, my master does not concern himself with anything in this house. He said, first of all, I need to, you need to realize, listen, uh, Potiphar's wife, he, he, the master's really trusted me here. He, he, he's given me a lot of responsibility. And so that, that's really important to me because my integrity is on the line here. And then he says, everything he owns, he's entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. And he says, I'm the fall guy. I'm the guy responsible here. And then he says, my master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? So what he's saying here is he's seeing the big picture. If he just allowed his emotions to take over at that particular point, he might have fallen with Potiphar's wife. But he had to look beyond that and say, what are the consequences of this action that I would take? And the problem with a lot of us is when we get into a temptation situation, we allow our emotions sometimes to dictate our behavior rather than to understand intellectually and spiritually and what, what the ramifications are to this whole thing. We just jump in impulsively and we screw up. But he was able to kind of rationalize through it. I mean, when I say rationalize, by being rationally dealing with this issue, he saw the big picture and all of the consequences. And the scary part of it is when we fall to temptation, we don't usually look at that. We just jump in. We allow our emotions oftentimes to dictate our behavior and consequently in principle number five here is this we got to recognize others who may be hurt because of our actions you see what he realized here is he said i'm not just hurting me i mean we're gonna have this little private tryst but i know that it's going to have an ultimate effect on potiphar and 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 my my uh, responsibilities here See, there's always collateral damage when we succumb to temptation. There's always somebody that gets hurt. We don't. We oftentimes feel like, I think what Satan likes to do is to isolate our temptation to say, well, it's only going to be about me. It's not a big deal. It's not about me. It's just, I'm just hurting myself. When in reality, it can, it can really have a rippling effect in other people's lives when we succumb to temptation. And, and Joseph was able to be resilient enough to realize, no, wait a minute, this is going to cost not only other relationships horizontally, but it's, it's a God thing for me. And that's principle number six, that when we succumb to temptation, we need to realize we're sinning against God. You know, it's not so bad in reality when we feel like we've sinned against somebody else because they're a sinner too, right? They do it. They mess up. I mess up. No big deal. We'll rationalize this thing away. But what Joseph had was just a relationship with his God that he realized, you know, I sinned against God. If I do this, this is a God thing in my life. And the problem with a lot of us, we don't have enough God stuff in our life to create those boundaries, and I'll get to that in just a minute. But the point is here is that when we succumb to temptation, we need to realize that this, coming to that temptation, we are sinning against God, not just everybody else. And that's a powerful thing because that's what really can lead to us to that, that real uh, repentant heart that really makes a legitimate change. Here's principle number seven. What did Joseph do then? He ran. He ran. He ran for the exit, man. He didn't want to stay there. And here's the here's the principle: he left his cloak in her hand and he ran out of the house. And my point is this: the longer we entertain a temptation, the harder it is to resist. Have you noticed that? The longer we mess around tease ourselves, tantalize ourselves, put ourselves in compromising situations. The more we do it, the chances are we're going to mess up. Chances are we're going to be tempted. And so the point is, is that we need to figure out a way that we can just say, let's just cut this off. Let's just run. Let's flee from this. I mean, Paul told to Timothy, he said, Timothy, flee youthful lusts. Don't hang around. Don't entertain yourself. Get away from the computer. Do whatever you have to do, but flee youthful lusts. Run. Stop messing with it. Stop dabbling in it. Stop playing games because chances are the longer you stay in it, the harder it is going to be to resist. So that's principle number seven. Run from it. And that's what Joseph did. He ran. Principle number eight. This is a hard one. Resisting temptation may not always bear positive consequences. You know, It's interesting here. Here's a young guy who was very vulnerable, certainly sexually being a young, virile man. And I'm sure Potiphar's wife was pretty much of a knockout because Potiphar could have any woman he probably wanted. The temptation was really high. But he resisted. And in verses 13 through 20, as we read, when she lied about the situation, the master heard the story of his wife and told him he burned with anger and Joseph's master took him and put him in prison. He went from the palace, really, to the prison, essentially. Now, if I were Joseph, I would sit there in prison and say, Oh, brother God, what's up with this? I mean, I tried, I did the right thing. I refused. I, I, you know, I did everything you asked me to do. I resisted temptation, and now I'm stuck in this stinking, smelly prison. And we're going to learn a little bit about the next message that I do for you. We'll look at Joseph and how he could make lemonade out of lemons in his life and that's what a resilient person does but we're going to stop there and just realize that sometimes in our lives we're going to be doing something and we're going to be resisting temptation there's been pressure put on us and we're going to say no i've drawn a line here i'm not going to do it and you're going to get backlash you're going to get all kinds of negative consequences as a result but doggone it if you really have a relationship to god he's far more important about what he thinks than what people think amen that's the reality And so here's a situation where he resisted temptation, but it doesn't always bear positive consequences. But we need to learn how to live with that because it's about God. It's not about the consequences. Amen. And here's the last thing, principle number nine. And I want to talk about this for just a minute. It is critical to have strong convictions before the temptation occurs. You see, Joseph obviously went into the situation with Potiphar's wife knowing that this was a boundary in his life. This was a conviction between him and God. Look, I'm drawing the line here in my life. There is not going to be any premarital sex in my life, period. End of story. That's a boundary that God and I have made a decision on and that's powerful and that's black and white. And see, the problem is we enter into a lot of temptations, and we've never really had a conviction about it between us and God, and so consequently what we do is we have a tendency to step over the line, right? Or we bend the line a little bit, because God and I have not had a boundary set. Oh, we maybe have some opinions, or we have some ideas, or we have some prejudice or biases, but when we're talking about conviction, we're talking about a vertical relationship where God has spoken to me and saying, no, this is a boundary that I'm setting in my life. And when we set that boundary, then we can say, when that temptation comes, boom, we've already made a decision. No way. There's no way I'm going to commit adultery here. It's not even an issue in my life because God and I have resolved that in our own heart, my own heart. So I was thinking, is there an illustration that I could, that I could give you to kind of leave you thinking about this whole idea of resisting temptation? You know what I thought of this? I actually thought of this this morning when I was laying in bed. Has Anybody been to a tractor pull? You know what a tractor pull is? I got a few people. Come, you know, old Iowans, you know, you Midwesterners, you know, that we're from the farm. Well, what a tractor pull is, is there's this competition between farmers where they pull out their, their tractor and they, they have a, about a hundred yard uh, dirt track. And they have a skid that they pull with a tractor. And as the tractor goes down the track, they increase the weight of the skid. And the tractor has to have enough power to pull all the way through the track to its finish line. And I thought, that's a lot about temptation. There's this weight pulling on us. But how does a tractor pull guy prepare to really win the race against the weight of the pull? Well, there's three things they have to do. The first thing is, is they have to make sure they have good traction. So traction is really, really an important thing. So what a lot of farmers do is they look for the tires, the kind of tires that have just the right tread line. And sometimes they even sharpen the tread line by literally taking a file and they file down some of the treads so that it actually has a sharper bite because they need to have traction. And without traction, they're not going to be able to pull. And then the other thing they have to really think about is balance. Because when a tractor pulls and when that weight gets more and more, the tractor has a tendency to do a wheelie. And so they start losing traction. So what they got to do is they put more weight on the front end of the tractor so that the tractor, weight of the tractor stays down so that power can get to all of its, its weight against the pole. And so the, the balance is really, really critical. And then the third thing they do is they do everything they can to beef up the power. They, you know, they, they bore out the cylinders. They do everything they can to create more power for that tractor. And I thought, interesting, because number one, when it comes to balance, we need to have a balance between our mind, will, and emotions when it comes to temptation. See, if our emotions are just simply the thing that are, that's driving the tractor, we could get into trouble. But if our minds are engaged, my, my intelligence, my intellect is engaged, and my will is strong enough understanding that if I have the right traction, which is our convictions, because if we, without traction, we're going to be spinning our wheels, You get it? So you've got balance and you've got traction. And then what's the third thing? Hey, the first service got it. Power, right? Increase the power. You know, that's what we do in AA. In any kind of recovery situation, who is your higher power? And so to overcome temptation, we need those three factors in our lives. We need balance, we need traction, and we need power. Do you have that in your life? You see, traction is a critical component. And here's what, here's what I want to challenge you to think about this morning. Let me just ask you some questions. What are those vulnerable areas in your life that Satan can exploit? I have no idea what they are, but you do. And if you don't know, ask your wife, your husband, or your best friend. I'm sure they'd be glad to tell you where your vulnerable spots are. What, what are those weak areas in your life that you think could be very vulnerable to Satan's attacks. And then, secondly, have you developed yet some convictions around those temptations? Have you and God gotten together and gotten into God's Word, see what God says about it, and you've set an absolute boundary in your life to say, no, this is where I draw the line in my life. This is a boundary that I've set. This is really, really important. Whether you're a young person, older person, it doesn't really matter. Because when that temptation comes, and if you've got the boundary set, it's so much easier to say, no, no, God and I have got this wired. We're not going to mess with this. So have you developed a conviction about it? And maybe perhaps you continue to fall in this area of your life because you've never really developed a conviction. You just know it's wrong, but you really haven't gotten with God and really, really created a, a, a pact, if you will, or a, or a commitment to God to saying, God, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, we're done with this. I repent. I've got godly sorrow. I need accountability. And that's the third point. Is there somebody in your life to hold you accountable then? Have you created some accountability in your life? Who's that person that can tell you the truth and do it in love that you can accept? We need those happy few in our lives that we can trust that will tell us the honest story. And fourth, how many times have you really fallen into temptation because your emotions were ruling and you've not had a balanced approach to that temptation? So traction, balance, and power that's where we resist temptation that's where we become a resilient person who can be able to resist temptation let me pray with you this morning Father I thank you for a guy like Joseph who seemed to really have it wired he, he seemed to, to really figure it out to be able to resist temptation we know that Joseph wasn't a perfect individual but he's certainly given us a lot of th- thought this morning as to how to deal with issues that come into our lives that are so tantalizing, that, that, that are gripping us, that, that, that seems to be a weak area of our life. But God, I pray that what's been shared this morning would be helpful to each one of us so that we can be stronger, wiser, and balanced in the way we see life for that person that's struggling with maybe an area of their life that you've convicted them about this morning. God, I pray that they would take those steps to make sure that they've developed a conviction, that they would get better traction. I pray that they would really rely on you for their, for their power source to resist. And I pray, Lord, that they would see it with great balance and great perspective, understanding what you think and what God thinks and, and, and what the Scriptures say, etc., and put all that together. And wrestle with these things so that when the next time Satan comes along, we can go on the offense rather than on the defense. Thank you for this opportunity to share these truths, God. And I pray in my own life that I would take these to heart. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.